Thanks, Jim. Kind of get everything arranged here. No, I guess that's high enough. <clears throat> Am I live? Or is this Memorex? Anybody remember that commercial? <laughs> um, as Jim said, I'm Ken Morton, and we did attend here for uh, three years, and I was actually working with youth for the most of the time. My wife and I worked with uh, young people during those uh, three years we were here under Pastor Ron, and um, it's, uh, it's been an honor, and I want to start off by saying, saying People look at me and say, you're a missionary. I say, yeah, but you're a missionary too. Because God really only gave two commands. Jesus, when he's on the earth, he said, come unto me and go. So two commands. Come is the worship part. The going is the missions part. Now, one of those will disappear in heaven. Missions exists because worship doesn't exist here. But once we get to heaven, it'll all be worship. And we won't have missions anymore. So I'll be out of a job, but then I'll move into a new position leading worship. I don't know. I won't be leading anything. I'll be falling on my face flat before Jesus. But anyway, we've been with, we were here in 90. We left here in uh, June of 90 and started application with Wycliffe Bible Translators. <clears throat> and Wycliffe, how many of you are familiar with Wycliffe? Okay. Let me ask a second question. How many of you came to know Jesus Christ because of the efforts of a Bible translator? So everybody else speaks Greek and Hebrew, right? Oh, yeah. John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English in the 1600s from Greek and Hebrew. And that was the first translation that we had where we could actually, you know, look at it. We could read it. And now how many versions do we have? There's so many out there. The other thing is, how many languages do you think are spoken in the world? Anybody have a clue? Yell it out. How many? 3,000, that's good, too low. Okay, over 7,000 languages in the world. Now, when Cam Townsend founded Wycliffe, they thought there was only like 230. But since then, they've done research and found these little valleys and nooks all over the world, and there's over 7,000 languages. Actually, I think the last number on the count was 7,113. A lot of languages. Wycliffe is 80 years old this year. Uh, found in 1942, and this coincides with my wife and I, uh, 30 years. We just finished 30 years in February, and this is my family, my lovely wife in front, and next to her is my only daughter-in-law, and uh, behind her is my third, second son, Daniel. They're the only ones that are married. I have two grand dogs, uh, no grandkids yet. We'll see. <laughs> and then uh, the oldest is on the far right, and the youngest is next to him, and there's six, three, six, twelve years difference between them, I think is what it is. But anyway, um, that's my boys, all boys, and we didn't have anyone we were here, so nobody here should know them, I don't think, and we haven't been back since, but they all live within 40 minutes of, 40 miles of us, no, what am I saying, 45 minutes of us, and we get together every Sunday, sometimes we go to church together, but my oldest son and his wife go somewhere else. But we'll go to church together, have lunch together, and just, I am blessed. I am just so blessed to have my family close by. It is such a, a neat thing that God's done for me. <clears throat> this is what 
I looked like my wife and I when we were here. That was in 89, the year we left. Um, I've lost a little hair since then. I think that's the only difference in it. So, um, But uh, some, of the old, some of the ones in the other service saw it and they recognized me. Which is so sweet because I don't. I'm at my age. I don't recognize anybody. I know. I make a new friend. I meet an old friend. They're a new friend to me at my age. So it's kind of neat. But um, we left in '93 for Brazil. That was our first two boys that we had. Actually, the one in the jumpsuit was born in Brazil, so we could get a visa to go down there and work. And that's the plane that I was actually flying. That was up here at Jars in South Carolina, in North Carolina, being worked on. And went down. We spent three years in Brazil, and I was a pilot mechanic. And then we went, uh, came back to the States for a year and then went to Niger, West Africa. So I went from the jungles to the desert. And then we, two years there, then we came back for three years and worked at JARS. And then we went four years to Cameroon, which is in Africa as well. And I was the director of technical services and administration. So I took on an administration post. And then when we came back, I was looking for something else to do. I didn't feel like Flying was what I wanted to do anymore at that point. So I found vernacular media. And basically, well, let me back up a little bit. In 2018, they celebrated the 1,000th New Testament. This is in Uganda with a Calicovan language. And we've completed several more since then because that was four years ago. I couldn't give you an exact number. But that was a milestone for Wycliffe that we'd finally, for Wycliffe SIL, they're related that we've completed 1,000 New Testaments in 1,000 languages now have the Word of God in their own language. Now the question is, why do we translate the Bible? Well, if French was the only language we had the Bible in, and I was a missionary to you all, I would have to teach you all French so you'd understand it, right? But we want to go into a language and we want to translate it into what language they can understand. Here's a little video on this that will kind of explain it.
1919, Cam Townsend was a young, young man and went and tried to join the army. They wouldn't take him because of physical things like flat-footedness. I think he had asthma. And so he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do, and he went to a missions meeting at his church, and it was all women talking about missions. And they said, there's no men because they're all fighting. So he decided to be a missionary, trained to sell Bibles. So he went to Guatemala and was going to spell Spanish Bibles to the people down there. He came across an old Quechua Indian and tried to sell him a Spanish Bible. And the Indian looked at him and he said, uh, what is it? He said, well, this is God's word. What, it's God's word in Spanish. He said, yeah, but it's about God and, and his love for us. He said, well, if God is so great, why doesn't he speak Quechua? So Cam went back to the States, got some training, went back to Guatemala and translated the New Testament into Quechua language because God does speak Quechua. God speaks all languages. Um, Nelson Mandela once said that if you talk to a man in a language he understands, it goes to his head. But if you talk to a man in a language that he grew up speaking in his heart, that message goes right to his heart. And that's what Wycliffe is about, putting the language, putting the Word of God into the heart language of people. Your heart language for you all is probably English, I'm guessing, since that's what we all grew up speaking. We call it the language you learned on your mother's knee. That's your heart language. And that's what speaks to a man the most. There's still a lot of work out there. There's about 1.5 billion people who don't have a full Bible. About 7,000 languages, as I said before. There's 1,800 languages that still need a translation started. And now we're getting into the field of sign languages. 350 sign languages. 70 million people around the world who are deaf and talk by signing. There's one sign language Bible that was just completed last year. It's a total Bible in sign language for them. Um, we've been able to co collaborate with them on that. Wycliffe does with the Deaf Bible Society and a group called DOOR. And it's, it's taking off. It's really in neat to see the interest that we have. And sign language in the U.S. is not like sign language in languages in, the, in Africa. It's different. In Asia, they're different. So you can't just do one sign language and send it out to everybody. It doesn't work that way. Now, the question is, we all grew up, and when that video was playing, how many of you were listening to him but reading the subtitles too? Yeah, because we're literate, we can read. But what happens if you translate a Bible and give it to a people group and they don't read, or they can't read, or they won't read, maybe because of age, blindness, whatever? This is what happens. These are Bibles that were translated for a people group and they didn't want it. They just sit in a warehouse. 20 years of work went into translating that book. And it just sits there because the group weren't interested. So how do you get the word of God to them? That's where media services comes into play. You put the Bible into different formats that people can understand. Video, recorded audio so they can listen to it. All different types, even dance, whatever. But you put it in the format what the people understand. And that's what I do with vernacular media services. Now it's called international media services. We find the way that people communicate, and we put the Word of God into that language, into that style, so that they can have it as well. Orality is what you'll hear a word thrown around a lot. There are oral people groups out there, and it's people that either can't read or don't read or won't read for one reason or another. But they need the Word of God just like everybody else. So what we do, we make God's Word accessible. How many of you have ever seen a Bible in Braille? Anybody seen a Braille Bible? I hadn't seen one until a couple of days ago. I went up to uh, a camp for the blind just north of Charlotte. And it's uh, 30 volumes. Imagine lugging that to church every Sunday. 
<laughs> and that's me standing there with my Bible, the whole thing right here. And uh, that's, that's for them. They're not that heavy. I thought they were going to be really heavy, but they're not really that heavy. They're kind of light. But still, it's just for a blind person, it would be impossible, you would think. So that's why in 1948, the American Society for the Blind decided to do an audio recording of the complete Bible. They hired Alexander Scorby, who's narrated books all over the world. He's, he's a very famous narrator. They worked four years to record the whole Bible and put it on LP records. Now, anybody recognize what this is? Anybody got them at home? You have something to play them on? <laughs> That's an LP. It's, it's pretty heavy. I mean... This, is the, this one was actually recorded in 58, so it's about the same time that Scorby did it. It's uh, about 24 minutes on this side, and you flip it over and play about 24 minutes on the other side. And they recorded 169 of these records to get the whole Bible on it. 169. 84 hours of playtime. And the American Bible said, once they were done, they gave them free to whoever requested them. That was pretty cool, I thought. But yeah, we've... Uh, We've come a long way. This is my toolbox. I, I live, you know, worked and studied under JD, and he taught me you always have a toolbox handy. You carry it with you wherever you go. Um, and I've got several tools in here that we use to help help the, you know, whatever format we need. Now, photographs, phonographs came out in 1877. Um, we had reel-to-reel tapes were developed in the 20s. You know, anybody seen these? Still got some of these? Anybody got a player for it? Probably not. I've got one. It doesn't work. It's a boat anchor now. From that, we went to um, A-Track. Everybody remember, who remembers A-Track tapes? You remember that clunk that happens in the middle of a song sometimes if they didn't time it just right? You didn't have to rewind it. This one just played over and just looped in there. It was really kind of cool. And then from A-Track, we went to Cassette. And some of the, yeah, we all remember Cassette. You know, they, um, these were the rage. I mean... They had all kinds of different things about them. Oh, this is metal oxide, this is metal chromide, and all this other stuff. These are really neat. But you know, over time, these things like in Brazil or in Niger in a dust environment, after about six months, they're dead. It just, the magnetite and the dust over there just wipes the sound off of them. From those, we moved to CDs. Everybody knows CDs. You all play a CD player. Then from that, we went digital. And uh, I don't have my digital media player here. Well... This is a New Testament on here. That you can put a plug of headphones in, takes a battery, actually recharge it, you can listen to the New Testament on this little player. Just a tiny little thing. But it gets even better than that. See, you know, micro, DV, micro CD chips. This is the rage. Everybody has a cell phone, right? You probably got one of these in here. This chip will hold 40 videos, Jesus films. 1,000 languages recorded on that little chip. It's very impressive the technology's come so far. And we've been able, as Christian world, take advantage of the world technology and use it for biblical purposes. Jesus' video is probably one of the famous Christian videos ever made. It's been translated and dubbed. Now, when I say dub, we go in and, and record people talking and then put it into the video so it's it's like the old Japanese films we grew up with that were dubbed and the mouth movements were really a weird to the voice. Well, we try to match it as close as we can to languages. I've done uh, one of these in India um, for uh, Vasavi language. 
10,000 10, speakers who now have the, the Vasavi language in the video. Then um, I actually did a Luke video. There's several Christians, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's Acts, there's Genesis, there's the Jesus film and others. The Luke video is the book of Luke, front to cover, back, front to back, word for word, and it's the whole thing in a movie. And I went over, I went to East Timor and worked in the Tetjendili language where we did the Luke video. And we were recording all the parts. They had 55 actors come in for all the different parts, and we had a narrator. This is Alberto Correa. He was a narrator for half of it. Couldn't took us five weeks to do the whole recording, put it to the video. Alberto and I were doing one section in, in Luke 22. We were getting towards the end. And we were recording, and he started reading. In Luke 22, the verse he was recording was about where they took Jesus, and they beat him, and they scourged him, and crucified him. I mean, it, it's not as graphic as one of the other Gospels, I think Matthew, but it's pretty graphic. And he started recording and said, and what do you do is with the narrator, they record the non-speaking parts. Because you can't have a video and say, and then Jesus went too. You have to have that recorded in too. And, and then Jesus said, and then Jesus speaks. and talked. Well, he was the narrator for it. And he started recording it and he stopped. And I said, you okay? He said, yeah, just give me a minute. He said, okay. He started recording and stopped again. And he kind of dropped his head and I said, what's wrong, Alberto? He said, until this time, I've read the Bible in Portuguese, I've read the Bible in English, but until I've read it now in Tetun, my language, I never knew how much Jesus suffered for me, but now I know because it's in my language. And that, it, he, he broke down, and we had to wait and said, okay, when you're ready, we'll do it. He, uh, he's a believer and uh, just a really neat guy. Um, I hope to see him at the throne someday. Who knows? But we finished it, gave it to him. 10,000 people viewed it in the first month, the month before Easter hit. So they were able to have the whole story of the Easter story in their own language on a video they could watch. Now, uh, I asked this in the early service and nobody could answer, but why would you record a rooster? A friend of mine was recording for a video up in the north of Cameroon. And we record wherever we can find. We, we do as much sound treatment to the room as we can to limit what gets in the mic. But in this one room, it was on the end of a building, and they started their recording, and this rooster was out in the yard outside and started crowing. And every time they'd start recording, this rooster, Arr! and finally, my buddy, Dwayne, he came up with an idea. He took a mic, and he hung it out the window and recorded the rooster crowing. And he took it back inside, put it in through the speaker, set a speaker in the window, and played that rooster crowing. Well, the rooster heard another rooster, so he crowed back. And it went like that for about 10 minutes. And finally, the rooster got hoarse. He couldn't crow anymore. And he wandered off. And then they could do their recording without any outside interruption. That's why you record a rooster. We use music. A lot of cultures use music to transmit information, dance, whatever. And we do a lot of recording of music, videos, and, and all things in all different languages. Um, audio players. Got several of those, just like that little one I showed you. And then we got bigger ones with solar panels on the back that they can charge up. Um, this is a Fulani herdsman. They, they basically live out in the fields with their cattle and they walk around all day. You see that arrow pointing to a mega voice recorder on his hat. And he's walking around recording that or charging it up so that at night he can sit around his fire and listen to the word of God. 
This is a proclaimer um, put out by Faith Comes by Hearing, and they only give these to people who are willing to commit to holding people listening groups. So you would take one, you say, okay, I know 15 people that we're going to listen to it every night. And you record it, you, every time you do it, you write it down, keep track, and you have to send it back to them so they know how many people in those languages are listening to the Word of God. This one has a crank on the side for charging it up. It's also got a solar panel, but it's got the entire New Testament on it that you can play, go back, and listen to it over and over. These are all over the world. Um, a lot of the recordings that we do make it onto these things. Radio programs, doing recordings of, of Scripture in, in indigenous languages and then putting it out on a radio program. We're still reaching people who listen to AM, FM, even shortwave, uh, beaming it into areas in Africa where missionaries aren't allowed to go, but the Word of God can still make it down there. So radio is a big thing, big important. This is an, an interesting app um, that I have on my phone, and you can get it, download it for free. And you can download all the languages. All the languages that are recorded are usually put on, a, on the, um, can't, for, forgot the website, wikibible.org Bible, Wiki, or something like that. But they keep a record of all the languages, and you can go in there and search for any language you want and download it onto your CN phone or wherever onto your computer. But this one has an app that shows the text as the recording plays, and then it goes through. I should give you an example. I don't hear any sound. Okay, let me back up, start it again. So what do you think you would use that for? How about literacy? Teaching people to read. Because they can hear it, and they can see it, and learn to read. It's a big, it's very popular. It's a lot of fun, because people will be reading it and listening to it at the same time. You can use anything to spread the word of God. We have a, I have a stick back there. It's about this tall. It's a walking stick. In Africa, everybody has a stick. You always have one, because you're always going to beat a snake or tap your cattle on the butt or whatever to get them to move. Well, I've got one that a missionary carved different icons, 52 of them down the stick to remind him of the order of the stories in the Bible. Because storing is a big thing. A lot of cultures love stories. They'll sit around and fire at night and tell stories, whatever. But he would walk and he'd say, uh, if you ever, they'd look at his stick and all the carvings, say, what do those mean? He said, well, this is the Bible. He said, really? And he would start at the top one. It's a picture of God. In the beginning was the word. And then there was a tree on the other side. I've got it back there if you want to look at it. It's really neat. Um, he would carry it around and, and tell the whole story of the Bible using those little pictures because people think in images. Um, another thing that we was really popular are story cloths. And it's just a cloth with little pictures on it that remind you of the order of the stories in the Bible. And I've got them in color. I've got them in black and white. And you can just start off. I think this is right to left. Yeah. Start off in the heavens, God created the earth, there's Adam and Eve, and it goes right on through to Revelation. Because people like to see images. I've got one black and white because there are some cultures that don't recognize colors. Um, there's a group in Africa, they don't know what the color green is. Just never did it. Um, 
I've got uh, one that actually has the stories going from right to left because Arab cultures, they read right to left. So you've got them for that as well. A flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph? There's a few. It's still being used in Africa, believe it or not. And stories and dance and all those other things. Um, it's neat the different ways that people communicate. And it's neat that we can find those ways and communicate the word into them. I've got one more video I want to show you. Um, just kind of a wrap up. Any questions? It's fine if you don't. I, I, where, who? I have a stick. It's a, it's called a story stick. I don't, yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'll show it to you back there. Yeah, I've got it back there. I've actually got a, a couple of things back there. I've got a tape player that doesn't use batteries. You wind it. It's called a tape talk. I've got a record player that's the same thing. You wind it and it plays uh, records that they carry of different languages back there. And uh, so if you want to stop by the table, I'll be back there. Um, anybody else? It's hard to see. These lights are really bright up here. Um, I just want to leave you with one thing. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, you're a missionary, I'm just X, I'm just Y. But missions is something that we're all commanded to do. And you don't have to go to seminary, you don't have to go to Bible school, you don't have to do anything like that if, to be a missionary where you are. You represent Christ everywhere you are. If you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit in you, the power of the Holy Spirit to help you in any situation. And he will speak through you. And there's a verse in Psalms that says, Come unto me, you who fear the Lord, and let me tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. And that's all you got to do. Hey, I'm not, a mission, I'm not a great speaker, but come and let me tell you what God's done for me. That's all it takes. And sometimes that's all it takes to let the other person know. Yep. Revelation 8, 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every language will be represented in heaven. All 7,119 of them. They'll all be there, worshiping the same God. Thanks so much for your time, for listening. Um, I turn back over to you, Jim. Uh, the other group didn't either. <laughs> thank you, Ken. Yeah, thank you.